last book of the Bible, God wants to leave you laughing. Not in foolish mirth, but in the sure hope and glorious expectation of the wonderful future that awaits you who belong to Jesus. Now, God accomplishes this by way of a series of testimonies in these uh, two last chapters. That is, various, various entities bearing witness to us, to God's people of every age, of some of these last words of true encouragement. We have the testimony of John. We have the testimony of an angel, the testimony of the spirit and the bride. But most significantly, we're given uh, in chapters, uh, in these chapters, um, first the testimony of the father and secondly the testimony of the son. So if you'll open your Bibles and follow along or sit back and listen carefully, as I read to you these um, two remarkable chapters, we could probably spend an, a great deal of time in these, but I've been trying to sort of give a, the overview and the, the shorter way of seeing it from a distance, and so I'm alighting these chapters together as, um, for this last message on the book of Revelation. Revelation 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And there came uh, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with eleven gate, or twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. 
on the north uh, three gates and the south three gates and the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured of the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the walls of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth admiral, or, or, emerald, um, the fifth annex, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth Christophase, um, the eleventh Jacinth, and the twelfth Amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the streets of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their forehead. And night will be no more. There will be no lamp a light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servant what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word uh, words of the prophets, uh, the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. 
I am a fellow servant with you and your brother, the prophets, and your brothers, the prophets, and with, and, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which is described, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The testimony of the Father is summarized by his words recorded in chapter 21, verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. Uh, the chapter begins with John seeing the new heavens, meaning the new firmament, uh, that which we see when we look up into the sky, and the new earth. God having destroyed, or at least perhaps more likely radically reconfigured, the old heavens and this old earth at the time of the second coming of Christ and at the time of the final judgment. Um, the final reckoning is now done in this text. The wicked have been consigned to hell. The saved, the saved have been gathered. And God brings down something new. Um, the holy city, uh, the new Jerusalem, essentially, as I understand it, God brings heaven uh, to earth. Now, I think we can um, uh, maybe most profitably impress upon our hearts the glories of this new thing, this new Jerusalem, that God has made when we dwell, and where we'll dwell for eternity, by comparing it to the old Jerusalem. Uh, we know what the old Jerusalem was. It was and is a city in Palestine, the center of Judaism, full of trouble and rebellion. But what is the new Jerusalem? What is this new thing that God the Father um, declares and introduces us to in Revelation 21? 
Well, <clears throat> the angel of the Lord says to John in verse 9, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then we read, And he carried me off in the spirit to a great mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The bride, throughout the New Testament, is a name for the church, the saved people of God. And the Lamb is the Lord Jesus. In other words, the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem, comes down from heaven. It's a picture of God's perfected church, uh, the church of Christ, full of love and full of worship. Um, This is the elect of every age. The gathered church triumphant, built upon the foundations, uh, which are named after the twelve apostles and the four gates named after the twelve tribes. It's where the true sons uh, and daughters of Abraham, those who share the true faith of Abraham, um, are, are, were, were um, of every age uh, and every nation will freely enter. The old Jerusalem, we're comparing the old with the new, remember? The old Jerusalem was filled with hypocrites and haters of God. The old Jerusalem, uh, they stoned the, God's prophets and and sent to um, and and God that God had sent to to call them to repentance and faith. The Lord Jesus Himself was reviled and crucified outside that wicked old city. Uh, the New Jerusalem is altogether different. Verse twenty-seven tells us the New Jerusalem in it nothing unclean or impure will ever enter it. If anyone nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written. Uh, in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, The world in which we live is certainly symbolized by the old Jerusalem. It it is filled with fools and hypocrites and sinners ourselves being among the worst. Uh, Even the church in this age is filled with impurity and failure and embarrassing inconsistencies. Not in the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem will be a place of perfection, beautiful and spotless, without fault and, and, and flaw and 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 a place filled with unspeakable joy. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain. God himself will wipe away our tears and heal our hearts. I think these last two chapters, sometimes chapters we read through sort of quickly, until maybe we get to a place in our life when we think we need to slow down and read them a little more carefully. But they're beautiful. And yet there's more. The old Jerusalem was, of course, uh, the location of the of the tabernacle and later the temple, the old Jerusalem was. Uh, an absolutely breathtaking edifice by all accounts, where, you remember, was the Holy of Holies, a small 20 by 20 by 20 cube shaped room shut away from the eyes of all, uh, save the high priest and him only once a year. And there was the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God mysteriously promised his peculiar holy presence. Um, But, brethren, in the holy city, in the new Jerusalem, where you will one day be admitted, there will be no temple at all because the entire city is the temple. God himself is the temple. We're the temple. (laughs) And I'm not sure sure that makes a lot of sense. But it's not 20 by 20 by 20, but 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. In other words, it's absolutely huge. Uh, but, But don't bother taking out your your pocket phone calculator because it's not a number that can be calculated in feet and inches. 
but rather another symbolic number representing the entire church triumphant gathered together. Uh, Twelve is the number of the church. We've seen that throughout Revelation. And twelve is multiplied by uh, a a thousand. Uh, The new Jerusalem, uh, the holy heaven, the presence of the Lamb and the Father will be everywhere and everyone uh, there will be there who are supposed to be there unspeakably uh, joyful and unspeakably absolute that place will be. Uh, the, the old Jerusalem, of course, had only the light of the sun by day and moon by night. Uh, even, even the temple was lit by nothing more than the measly flame of a fancy candlestick burning olive oil. But this new Jerusalem, verse 23, will have no need of sun or moon to shine it because the glory of God uh, gives it light and the lamb is the light and the light is the lamb and there'll be no day or night there at all. Um, you and I will stand in the light and the glory of Jesus and whatever you have been through in this life, in this world, it will all be instantly forgotten in his loving arms, in his loving presence. Now there's another way to think about this place where we're headed as we sort of dash through this text. Um, and, and that's a, a new garden. There's a new Jerusalem and a new garden. Now, you remember the old garden, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve lived and from which they were banished. Uh, Genesis describes it as a paradise lost. But uh, Revelation 22 shows us a paradise restored. The first garden was beautiful, especially it was beautiful when the Lord God came down in the cool of the of the evening to walk and talk with our first parents, Adam and Eve. But they disobeyed God. They willfully rejected the rule of God over their lives, his loving rule, for which they were reasonably and fairly enough banished from the presence of God and from the garden and from the blessings. Uh, And they were consigned to a life of such toil and struggle outside the rule of God, which is what they desired after all. Uh, God's punishment, the toil and struggle uh, was designed and purposed to to drive them, to drive us back in our weary desperation upon the grace of God, which they had rejected. God banished them from the garden. And you recall, he placed a cherubim with a flashing sword uh, to guard the way back into um, the back so that no one could particularly receive the tree of life lest they should eat it again and continue to live forever in the misery of their sin and conflict with the devil. God did not want that for them. Brothers and sisters, the new Jerusalem, uh, in the new Jerusalem, that garden is restored and made far better than the garden of Eden, Eden at its best. Um, there the Father is continually present with his sons and daughters. If I'm being repetitive, it's because the text is repetitive. It keeps talking about the Lord's presence and talking about uh, his grace and and these beautiful things. Um, There will be there a a river as clear as crystal uh, flowing down the very center of the city uh, with the tree of life yielding the Uh, yielding fruit in every season and leaves for healing of the nations. 
There in the garden, there will be no influence whatsoever from Satan or his minions. He will be cursing God from the lake of fire from which he will never be released and never again tempt anyone. We might think of it this way. Uh, This new Jerusalem will constitute the complete reversal of the curse of Genesis 3. The thorns, the pains, the sorrow, the banishment from God's presence and the continual conflict between uh, bad and good and good and evil all roll back uh, with wonderful images of, of blessed peace and contentment. In Genesis 3, God mercifully clothed the banished and grieving Adam and Eve with skins of animals to cover their shame and lack of transparency. In the new city, in the new garden, God will bring perfect fulfillment to the words of Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Those words will be your words. You have washed your robes in the blood of Christ and are covered even now with the perfect righteousness of Christ and the imputed record of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus. Think of it, how much greater it will be then. Um, Paradise restored. It's not a a dream or a fairy tale. And, And don't be put off by the poetic language of this text, the gold and the jewels and gold that's as clear as as crystal. Um, um, We moderns um, might uh, be more comfortable with something more precise, um, described with technical terms and precision and and measurement, but but surely we can understand that that heaven is essentially indiscernible with human words. And, And God condescends to give us these words using these poetic descriptions by, by which we must be satisfied for now. In this age, in this life, on this sphere, we cannot even see God. Even, even Moses, that great servant of God, when he asked God that he might see his glory, was refused. God said to him, you cannot see my face, for no man may see me and live. But in the place that Jesus has prepared for us, In this new Jerusalem, this new garden, we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads. People may vainly imagine, writes William Hendrickson, that all sorts of, that by the means of better education and better environment and better legislation and a more equitable distribution of wealth, they're going to issue in a new era, a golden age, the utopia of man's ardent desires. Their dreams remain a dream. Only God can really make things new. And that's the testimony of the Father in Revelation 21. Behold, I'm making all things new. Well, um, there's uh, one other thing uh, that the Father does and tells us here. The new heavens and earth, the new Jerusalem, new garden, but most importantly, perhaps, a new creation, meaning uh, a new people. Um, Certainly in Revelation 21, we have a complete fulfillment of those precious words given to us by the Apostle Paul. That if, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. As our Lord said to Nicodemus, a good religious man, yet unsaved, um, unless 
a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But at the return of the Lord, um, we will receive glorious new resurrection bodies, absolute perfection. Only God himself is greater and will be greater and better than you and I on that day. See, that's the completion of this newness. Then we really will be new in every sense. All of which, um, all of these comparisons, uh, the verses uh, between the heavenly Jerusalem and the old earthly garden, the heavenly Jerusalem and the, and the, and the old man and the new man, um, is the testimony uh, that God the Father is promising us here in Revelation 21 and 22. And the testimony of the Father, to say it again, is boiled down in verse 5 of chapter 21. Beholding, behold, I'm making all things new. Now, for my second point, though, we want to look at the testimony of the Son, our Lord Jesus. And we find his summary words in Revelation 22 repeated three times. That's a good number. Uh, in, in verse 7, in verse 12, and again in verse 20, where the Lord says, Behold, I am coming quickly or soon. Now, brothers and sisters, don't stumble on those words. Uh, listen to me for just a few minutes longer, lest we be tempted in our short and sinful minds to find fault with that word quickly or soon. And, and even take issue with the truthful, truthfulness of God's word and the reliability of God's promises, saying to ourselves, well, yeah, but it is 2021, Lord. But please remember the inspired words of the Apostle Peter, who you recall wrote, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on just the same as it has from the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's time simply is not our time. And his delay is purposed by his desire to call to himself all who are to be saved. Uh, in fact, we who are living in the New Testament age have no right to be impatient at all. The Old Testament saints of the old age, now they're the ones who really waited a long time. Uh, remember, it was at least 2,000 years from the days of Abraham to the birth of Christ. And how many years before that? How many years passed before that from creation until the days of Abraham? God never said to the Old Testament saints, Behold, I'm coming soon. He never promised them that. Um, but we can say that because we're living, and he can say that to us because we are living in the last days, that relatively brief period of time between the first and second uh, covenant or advent. And, and we have the short wait, really, um, to say the least. Um, these days may appear long to us, but in the larger scheme of redemptive history, they are relatively short. Now, maybe I can illustrate that to you by, um, by thinking, having you think of this sanctuary, from the width of the sanctuary, from that wall uh, to this wall, 
as a, as a timeline of redemptive history. And if we were to start back here at creation and, um, and slowly walked our way toward the end and the second coming, we would probably come, well, maybe here the Lord returns. Maybe not. It's probably closer to here. Maybe even here. You see, this is the, this is the relatively short time span we're in. And we must endeavor, it's helpful to endeavor to see it, uh, I think, uh, in, in that light. And, um, and, and our business is to be watchful and, 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 and prepared and patient. Uh, the wicked servant says to himself in Matthew 24, my master's staying away a long time. And then he proceeds to believe, uh, to behave in a very uh, faithless and unworthy manner for which he's condemned. Uh, with the hope of heaven in our hearts, we need to be watchful and prepared and well-behaved. Always looking up in, in faithful, happy anticipation. Now, Jesus says, um, in, um, in verse 7, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the prophecy of, the, of, of this book, which is a, re- re- a reiteration of the words with which uh, the book of Revelation began in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads uh, the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. At the end, here again, he says, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Uh, which is, uh, so what is it that we're exhorted to take to heart uh, with the time so near? Well, the answer is everything we've been reading about in this book uh, from the first chapter. All that we've been reading throughout the, the whole book, especially the warnings that were not to be deceived by the dragon and the beast and the prophet, not to take the mark of the beast, which is to say, in other words, that we are not to be seduced by the spirit of this world, which is a spirit, a life of materialism and self-pleasure, and not to be captured by pride and independence which is the spirit of the devil. We're not to be seduced by the pleasures of vanity fair, by a life which focuses not on Christ, but on material things that distract us uh, from giving our thoughts or any thought at all to our eternal souls. Uh, We must beware of, of the idols of this age that draw us away from Christ and away from the gospel and away from the hope of heaven into supposing that this life will uh, not be a short pilgrim journey of preparation, which it is. We must also uh, beware of being blindly seduced by the worship of creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We must know that, uh, that uh, there is room in our hearts for only one God and nothing else uh, as, as room for and anything else is an idol no one can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other uh, you cannot serve both God and mammon meaning money or anything else that you value before God anything you put your hope in or find your comfort in uh, 
the book of Revelation, frankly, warns us against all of this. Um, if you're reading uh, Revelation and looking over your shoulder for literal dragons and beasts and one world governments that will tattoo 666 on your hand or forehead, you've, you've really missed the point of the prophecy of this book. Remember, uh, the figures in Revelation are symbols. The dragon, the beast, the false prophet, or the false trinity who's seeking to deceive the saints, if that were possible even, uh, to forsaking Christ and the kingdom. The message of Revelation is there is no savior in this world but the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no government, no science, no economic theory, no true prophet, no real king that we should trust in to save us but only the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no persecution that does not ultimately come from the devil. Nothing the church cannot survive by the grace of God. That's, that is what the words of the prophecy of this book are warning us about. They're warning us, and, and it should be a great encouragement in all of this, that Christ is the victor. We, you see, we, as you hear it said, we, we've read the end of the book. And we know what happens. You know, we kind of skipped ahead. And we, and we know what happens. We win. God wins. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, is, is the victor. Christ is the victor. Um, and, and he has and will conquer the devil and his angels. And every one of them will be thrown into the lake of fire together with those who follow him and those who will not follow Christ. Those who belong to Jesus, who confessed him and bear his name, are marked um, by the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And they will follow him willy-nilly through ups and downs. God will support you. And he is coming back. The sad and beautiful world will not continue on forever. And nothing save heaven alone goes on forever. This is reality. Um, Jesus said his words, his testimony to us is, behold, I'm coming soon. And he says it three times. That's good news. Our Lord Jesus concludes this book with a wonderful invitation in verse 17, 22, 17. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires to take the waters of life without price come. That's the third time we've read that tonight. Uh, the Father who made all things new, who has a new heaven that is beyond desire, is urging. Um, the, the coming one, the gracious Savior, the Lord Jesus, is urging. Urging those who have never received Christ to come and taste this new life to come in repentance and faith. Um, who knows how much time remains uh, before the last terrible events laid before us in this book are brought to completion and the world goes to smash and the Lord returns. Uh, now, this time, uh, to bring salvation, that time rather, not to, not to bring salvation, but to bring a salvation, the fullness of salvation to his people those who have come to him, those who are waiting for him here and in heaven to bring them to himself and to eternity.
He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Lord God, thank you for this amazing revelation that shows us a reality, that shows us the life in which we are living, a, a, a life, a supernatural life, uh, filled in a world with supernatural realities, much of which we can't see, the, the greatest being yourself. Lord, um, show us yourself, show us Jesus more and more in our hearts and prepare us for that day of helping us to rejoice through the vicissitudes of this life by your grace, we pray. We are overcomers, Lord, by your grace, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.